I have shared my testimony before, but it's usually been in the form of an interview. So this is the first time that I actually get to present it as a message, and I, I can't think of a, a more welcoming place to do that. Um, you guys are like family. Um, and I, I turned to Jen when they talked about the offering. I'm like, that is so weird. <laughs> I'm just a friend, you know? And she said, well, that makes it official that you're an official speaker. So, you know, I am now an official speaker. Yes. <laughs> Um, I really like what Jen said this morning about, um, she was talking about peace and this being an anxiety-free space. Um, I was listening to a message on peace on the way here. It's not what I'm here to talk about, but I just want to say that that is definitely something that the Spirit of God is, is emphasizing right now. Um, and she also talked about this building and the projects that are going on in this building. And... I just want to say that I remember when this building was purchased. I remember when the dream was first conceived for the ministry here. And I've been praying into it because um, I I think my impression is that it's been delayed longer than any of you imagined. Um, And sometimes maybe even seems like it was it was not going to come to pass or that maybe it had come to a screeching halt or died. And um, so I think this message is, is fitting for that. I'm going to talk about um, believing again, hope and expectancy in the face of disappointment and opposition. Um, my main purpose here is what Paul says in Colossians 2.2. My goal is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love. Um, God is inviting us to raise our expectation of him, both for ourselves individually and corporately, and I believe specifically for this body. Uh, he wants to do He wants to do some really cool things, some really great things, obviously, what we've been reading in scripture all along. You know, Jesus demonstrated um, healing, deliverance, um, Mr. Davies just expounded on that a little bit more. Um, Just seeing the power of God, the tangible power of God and the presence of God that brings real change that you can quantify, that you can see in your own life and you can see in the lives of people around you. But we all face opposition and sometimes even disappointment, and then we get afraid to get our hopes up again. I received a prophetic word a number of years ago that has started me on the journey that I'm on. And something about a prophetic word is that even though it's given to an individual, if you hear it, sometimes the Spirit of God will say, that's for you too. And so I just want to encourage you that I'm just going to read an excerpt of it And I think that you can claim this, that this is for me too. And not only that, I believe it's for this church and this body, especially when I heard you speaking about the building and just even the dream that you're still waiting for God to bring to pass. The prophetic word uh, was given in like first person, so it's like God speaking. It says, I'm moving in your life a gifting, an anticipation, and a faith a revelation of my person and my ways that will break asunder everything that has tried to steal from you your life, your dream, and your vision. And so I speak that over this this place, this building. You will be a center of revival for Genoa. I remember the vision that Jen first had before you even moved into this building that she saw raindrops of mercy falling on all of Genoa because of what was being done in this place. And so I just seal that. Amen. So at the time this prophetic word was given to me, I was in probably the lowest place of my life. I was in quite a few of them, but this was probably the lowest. And I had cried out to God because I said, God, if you don't do something, my faith is going to shipwreck. Not that I wouldn't believe that he would exist, 
that there was a God or that Jesus would be my Savior, but my heart would die. I felt like I would just be an empty, hollow shell, and I'd just have to go the rest of my life numb. So this prophetic word came to me. The reason I was in such a low place is um, I, too, have been a dancer most of my life. Jen and I share that passion in ballet and dance. I started studying when I was eight years old, and it soon became, I was very serious-minded, and it soon became like my life goal and passion was just to become a very um, well-trained dancer, and not just for that sake, but um, for the Lord. I felt like he wanted me to use that gift. And then, as I got older, in my teenage years, I started dabbling in theater and music, and by the time I got to college, I started taking on uh, theater more seriously, and I became a theater major, and then shortly thereafter, a music major, so I was a double major at the University of Toledo. Um, the whole time, since I was young, I was always in love with Jesus, and that was that was the key thing. All of this that I was pursuing, it was rooted in my love for Jesus, and that it flowed out through these passions. The summer of 2003, um, I had been really busy, as you can imagine, being a double major, and uh, sometimes with busyness, you can kind of lose your center. So in the summer of 2003, God really um, did a revival in my heart. Uh, I read the, the book of John, and it's like he let me read between the lines. Somehow I could actually, it was like a movie, I could see Jesus and his interactions. When he was speaking, I could hear the intonation in his voice. It was actually more like I was there, not just a movie. Sometimes his eyes met mine. I was the disciple that Jesus loved by the time I got through the end of the Gospel of John, and I was on fire. But the enemy didn't like that, and that scared him. So he began to work a plan to try and steal what God was doing in my heart. I began to get just an odd notion that I needed supernatural protection. Just started getting these warnings. Um, I was still a very young adult at the time, so I still kind of had that invincible kind of feeling that, you know, so I thought, ah, this is weird, kind of surreal, bad pizza maybe, you know. <laughs> um, I wish I'd taken it more seriously, but see, when God speaks, even when he warns us, he doesn't, there is no fear in God. I mean, weren't we just singing about that, you know, how the name of Jesus calms our fears. There is no fear in God. So the warnings were urgent. There was weight to them, but there was no fear. And so, unfortunately, it kind of made me, it made it easy to kind of dismiss them as just, you know, well, maybe. <laughs> so I did go as far as to, well, if I need supernatural protection, I went to Psalm 91, and I began to pray Psalm 91 over myself on a daily basis. And I just want to read just a little bit of that to you in case you're not familiar. It says, He or she who dwells in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will save the Lord. He is my refuge and my fortress. My God, in him I will trust. Surely he shall deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the perilous pestilence. He shall cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you shall take refuge. It goes on to talk about all the things that he's going to protect you from in every situation wherever you find yourself. It culminates for me at verse 10. When it says, no evil shall befall you, nor shall any plague come near your dwelling, for he shall give his angels charge over you to keep you in all your ways. So I was praying this on a regular basis, and so I thought, I'm good. Let's not pay attention to this anymore. <laughs> Meanwhile, UT was hosting a big football game. 
It was coming up. There was excitement all across the campus. And I decided instead of putting my head in my books again, I was going to set them aside. I was going to go have fun. I hadn't been to a football game in about five years um, because I went when I was first in high school. I don't know if you know what post-secondary program is, but when you're in high school, you can start going to college. So that was a, that was the last time I'd been to a football game, if you can imagine. imagine. And then the, the court study course I was on was a five-year program. So I'm at the end of my program, and I thought, you know, I probably ought to go to, like, one more football game. <laughs> So I'm not a, I'm not a big sports fan, so I didn't realize that we were going up against a really big school. We were going up against Pittsburgh, and so that's why it was such a big deal that they were coming to us. Um, so I was excited about a football game. Um, unfortunately, well, fortunately and fortunately, it was a fantastic game. The crowd was excited, and... It was really close and tight. And at the last minute, our quarterback scored, and we won against Pittsburgh. However, the audience reacted by storming the field. I had never seen this, mind you. This is my second game. But apparently it was a tradition that if we won, people would actually storm the field, hang on the goalposts, and tear them down, if you can imagine. Not real safe. And so I was kind of shocked just sitting in the stands watching this. I even sat out of my mouth, oh my goodness, somebody's going to get hurt. So I thought the action was over. The goalpost was down. I actually watched the crowd carry it out of the stadium. We have a river that cuts through uh, the, the campus there, and they carried it out of the stadium, over to the bridge, and threw it in the river. So after I saw them carry it out, I left and I just stayed at a distance and watched all the action. I thought, phew, it's over. Well, little did I know that just behind me was another crowd with a second goalpost that had been torn down when I wasn't present to see it. And I got caught in that crowd. And as the goalpost went over into the river, it hit me and broke my neck. Now... God was still faithful, of course. I'm here. <laughs> because I might not have been here. I almost fell into the river, but somebody grabbed my shirt at just the right moment, pulled me back over. There were people that were just immediately there who I needed, people that knew to hold my head straight, people that kept me from being trampled, people that carried me safely out of the crowd. I had medical attention, they think, within two and a half minutes, and no phone calls were made. It's just that an ambulance happened to come by me. That was God. God was all over it. But at the same time, you know, in my world, I'm not aware of all that. I just know I'm hurt really badly. And I had to make a choice whether or not I was going to give in to panic or if I was going to trust God. And I chose to trust God. So fast forward to the hospital. Um... I was initially paralyzed from my neck down. And so if you can imagine a dancer who is used to having control of her body now has absolutely no control of her body or her bowels. Sorry if that's TMI, but I mean, we're talking nitty gritty, like everything. I lost control of everything. It was even hard to speak. I was on a ventilator for a while because it was hard to breathe. So my parents are believing people. And I'm so thankful for that. And they spoke from the beginning that we believe she's going to recover. And before I went into surgery, I agreed with them. I'm going to be okay. A week goes by. The doctor comes to my father and says, it's not looking good. We are not seeing signs of return. And my father argued with him about different things he had seen and how he thought I was improving. The doctor said, no, I really don't think so. My dad said, look. You asked if we had faith. He said, we believe she's going to recover. And the doctor said, I hope you're right. I have seen some amazing things. And then immediately my dad went and called my pastor and the elders and said, we need to pray. We need a sign for the doctors to know that she's going to recover. 
Because meanwhile, the nurses were like talking to my mom saying if she doesn't recover soon, the insurance isn't going to cover to stay in the hospital. She might need to be moved to a nursing home. At the time, I'm 22. My mom's like, no way. So they prayed. And my pastor said, when do you want the sign to happen? And my dad, not even knowing what day it was, because time had just become a blur while he's in the hospital, he said, how about Friday? And they prayed and agreed according to Matthew 18, 18, that a sign would happen for the doctors to see my recovery was beginning. Well, little did he know that that was Thursday. (laughs) And so Thursday evening came and it dawned on him that Friday was tomorrow. And he started wondering if God had enough time to make this miracle happen. (laughs) It's funny how we think. But just chose to believe anyways. And starting early Friday morning, I began to complain. I was on pharmaceuticals, so I was flying high. And I didn't know exactly what I was saying or talking about. But I started complaining that I was laying on this board. Please take this board out from my back. Or I'm on the edge of the bed and I'm going to fall off. Please put me back in the middle of the bed. They finally put two and two together and realized I was feeling my spine. I was having feeling in my back for the first time. And by Friday night, my entire back was on fire. Oh, God did it, right? Give him a hand for that, right? So the diagnosis from Thursday to Friday is completely different. Everything changed. They signed me up for physical therapy. In their minds, I was on the road to recovery. But I was struggling because I was disappointed that the accident happened in the first place. I thought, God, what happened to Psalm 91 with no evil befalling me? Evil befell me in the form of a goalpost. <laughs> it's fine. You can laugh at that. I think it's funny, too. <laughs> um, for the longest time throughout my recovery, I couldn't even read Psalm 91 because I felt like it mocked me. I felt like every time I opened it, it just said, this isn't true. This isn't true. And, I, and it's like... What do you do? Because your salvation is based on this word, right? And you can't pick and choose. I felt like it was the death of all my dreams. Because even though the miracle had started, I didn't jump out of bed immediately. Now, I do believe that instantaneous healing is God's will. That's what Jesus demonstrated while he was on the earth. All the paralytics that he healed were healed instantly. But... Sometimes we don't see that yet, right? That's, I mean, that's why I'm up here talking about this, is to persevere when it seems like there's a delay. So I was disappointed that the, the accident had happened in the first place, and I was disappointed that I was still flat on my back. Even with the return of feeling, I still couldn't move anything. I was just in pain now. Great. So now I can't move, and I'm in tremendous pain. I did start to get slow recovery, but I had to really walk through the healing. I mean, just to give you an idea, when I was laying in bed, the first time I was able to um, move my, my left arm significantly, it took all my concentration and energy to lift it a few inches off the bed and get it on the bed railing. And I thought, wow, that's, you know, I made it. And then I couldn't get it back down because it took too much energy to lift it off again and back onto the bed. So there my arm was stuck. <laughs> so that's a picture. Into, so I was struggling internally. Like, you know, God, I, I kind of feel like you, you let me down here. It was like Joseph, you know. He was promised the palace. And, you know, his life went through all these horrible trials you know, being sold by his brothers, slavery, just as he was starting to work his way up in Potiphar's house and things were starting to look kind of good, you know, it wasn't the promised palace, but it was sure better than where he had been. Then he gets, you know, falsely accused and thrown in the dungeon. So now he's like in the lowest place of the low, absolutely opposite of the palace. So that was me. A dancer believed that God had called me to express myself 
and more importantly express him through physical movement and I was still paralyzed. The other thing it did, the accident, is, is it started making me afraid of what was going to happen next. Instead of having true biblical hope that's the expectate, confident expectation of good, I started wondering, well, what's going to happen next? You know, what anvil is going to fall next? Let me get my umbrella. Um, I was living in, in, I started living in fear and trepidation, so I had to, that was another hurdle that I had to fight against. And I wonder if, you know, I'm, I'm sure, if you live in this world, you're going to experience trouble. That's a promise from Jesus, not our favorite one. But he does say that we can be of good cheer because he's overcome the world, so we can expect to overcome So I would like to segue now to a story from the Bible that I feel like Jesus has ministered to me out of um, that parallels with what I'm talking about. If you could turn to me, turn with me to John 11. We're going to talk about the death and resurrection of Lazarus. Now, in reality, this has nothing to do with Lazarus. The story is really about Mary and Martha. If this were a play and you were cast as Lazarus, all you'd have to do is lie there and be dead. So I just want to, just to summarize the story, we know that uh, Lazarus got sick. He died. Jesus wasn't there. The sisters were extremely disappointed. Jesus met them, and then he raised Lazarus from the dead. Well, let's start reading in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord and wiped his feet with her hair. So the sister sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one you love, is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, This sickness will not end in death. No, it is for the glory of God, so that God's Son may be glorified through it. Nice. I want to pause there. As soon as Jesus heard this, now, it's interesting that he had to hear it, because he was walking here on earth as a man who was totally dependent on the Father, so he didn't always know everything. You know, the woman with the issue of blood, you know, who pressed through the crowd and touched him, he had to turn around and say, who touched me? You know, he was very perceptive. He was always in tune with the Father, but it didn't mean that he knew everything at all times. So it says, when he heard this, he immediately said, this sickness will not end in death. I just want to point out that he didn't say this sickness will not start in death. And I just want to encourage us that just because something you believe have been believing for seems dead doesn't mean it's the end. So even if something is dead, even if it's your body and you're like, wow, you know, like Abraham, my body is as good as dead, that's no problem for God. This is not the end. It says, now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he hurried as fast as he could to get to Bethany. Oh no, nope, that's not what it says. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. I always thought that was really an odd statement. He really loved them, so he didn't go. <laughs> What? No, but you know, if on the surface you might seem, wow, how insensitive. Well, he really loved them, so he didn't go. First of all, you have to know the surrounding circumstances. They had already tried to kill him in Jerusalem. They were looking for a way to kill him. Um, they had tried to stone him already. Bethany is only two miles away from Jerusalem. 
So it was a risk for him to go. In fact, we know that he did eventually go, and his disciples fought him on that, saying, what? They're trying to kill you. You're going? Okay, so that's the first thing. But second of all, I have a feeling that Jesus knew where this was going. He knew where it was going to start, and he knew where it was going to end, which is why he made the statement, this will not end in death. But I had a feeling he knew Lazarus was dead. How do I know this? Let's let's just think this through really quick. Um, so he waited two days, right? Scroll down to verse... Scroll down. Well, yes, scroll down. <laughs> to verse 17. It says, on his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Okay, so he waited two days. Lazarus had been dead for four days by the time he got there. Let's say he didn't wait two days. Let's say he left right away. What's four minus two? Two. So Lazarus would have already been dead two days by the time he got there. So even the sister's disappointment wasn't founded because even if he had come right away, he still wouldn't have been there before Lazarus died. Just wanted to point that out. So Jesus was not insensitive. He was just in tune with the Father that this was not going to end in death, even though it had already started in death. He knew more than the disciples. So then I want to continue reading on from 7 I want to skip to verse 20. It said, When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, If you had been here, my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. You know, I love this because I feel like Martha gets a bad rap. You know, a lot when you hear Mary and Martha from the previous story. But I love Martha's faith right here. She expressed her disappointment and even a little bit of blame. Like, this is kind of your fault. You could have fixed this and you didn't. You know, hand on the hip a little bit, maybe. Even more than that. But then she said, but... I know even now God will give you whatever you ask. And there she's holding out there that I still know that you have this connection with God and that anything is possible. And to me, that statement is amazing. So then they go on to talk, and uh, Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha says, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live, even though they die, and whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I think it's interesting that she she put her hope out there saying, even now, anything that you ask, God, I know he'll give it to you. I wonder what was in the back of her mind. Did she think, maybe, possibly, that Jesus could raise her brother from the dead? But she wasn't willing to say it, because when Jesus said, your brother will rise again, she's like, yeah, in heaven. I mean, isn't that kind of the safeguard that we have? Let's say we're believing for healing, you know, and it's not looking good. And be like, well, we'll be healed in heaven. You know, that's that's the safe way. But God wants us to take a risk and say, no, I'm believing to be healed now. And I love what Jesus said. She said, I know that he'll rise in the last day. And Jesus said, I am now. So you're believing to be healed in heaven? Heaven is here now. Jesus is here now. The resurrection that's promised for the end is also here now. God is present. He's our present help in time of need right now. Maybe you're disappointed with how things have have panned out. But right now, even in the middle of your disappointment, in the middle of your opposition, God is present and anything is possible. Can you, can you extend your hope one more time? Even though you've been disappointed, can you set that aside and say, what does God want to do right now for me in this moment? What can he resurrect? What can he bring life to? So I want to go on to Mary. 
after Martha professes her faith. In verse 28, she went and she she called Mary. She said, the teacher is here and is asking for you. Now, I, I get Mary. She knew Jesus was there, and she didn't budge. She was so brokenhearted. This is the one who sat at his feet. She had absorbed his words and just drank them in. She had absorbed his love. And then this happens. I can only imagine she's thinking, Jesus, I thought we were friends. I thought you cared. I thought, I thought we were close. How could you let this happen? Do you even love us? She, she couldn't do it. He was there and she's like, I can't, I can't face him. I can't talk to him. I have nothing to say. I've been there. That's me. But when she heard that the master called, it says in verse 29, when she heard this, she got up quickly and went to him. Even in her disappointment, even though she was so despondent that she could not respond when he came, when she heard that the one who her soul loved was calling, she couldn't restrain. She had to go. She had nothing to offer. She had no faith. She had no hope. But she still had to go. And I just want to encourage you that if you're in Mary's position, can you at least come? Because he's calling you. Can you at least come? Bring all your disappointment, all your hurt. He's just asking you to come. Just a little bit further. Uh, Let's scroll down to... Verse 33, when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in spirit and troubled. Where have you laid him, he asked. And I want to read this out of the NLT version, which is one of my favorite versions. It says, when Jesus saw her weeping and saw the other people wailing with her, a deep anger welled up within him and he was deeply troubled. Why anger? Because he saw what had been done to his friends, and he was indignant. He loved Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. He saw what Lazarus was suffering, and he said, no, not on my watch. He was angry at what the enemy was doing. And I want to encourage us, we need to get stirred up. We need to be angry when we see our brothers and sisters being run over by the enemy. We need to be angry when he comes against us. We need to become indignant because the Lord is indignant. He is not indifferent to your suffering. In fact, he is indignant about your suffering. Allow that Holy Spirit anger to well up in you. It says, um, a few more verses down, it says, Jesus was still angry as he arrived to the tomb, a cave with a stone rolled across the entrance. Roll the stone away, he said. That is what gave him the authority to tell that stone to be rolled away and to call Lazarus forth was that indignation of how dare you, Satan, do this to my friends. So how do we how do we respond? How do we apply this? How do we respond to our disappointment? How do we respond to the fear of future disappointment? I would say let's do the first thing that Mary did is is come. Come to him. In uh, Matthew eleven twenty eight, Jesus says, Come to me, all you who labor and are weary laden, and I will give you rest. Do you need rest? Are you tired from the struggle that you've been going through? God's not afraid of our questions. Obviously, Mary and Martha said, Lord, if you had been here, this is your fault. Mary had nothing but grief to give him. She fell at his feet. I had a personal, my personal experiences. I finally had to come to the Lord and just say, Lord, I know you're perfect. I know you don't make mistakes. I know that this was not your will, nor is it your fault. But my heart is saying that you let me down, and I don't know what to do. Help me. And he very humbly surprised me, and I felt like he said, Will you forgive me until I can explain it to you? 
And that just broke my heart because I thought, here's this perfect God. I know very well he does not need my forgiveness. <laughs> and yet he's humbling himself. Again, Matthew eleven twenty nine says, I am gentle and lowly in heart, or I am meek and lowly in heart. He was showing his meekness. He was willing to take the blame so that my relationship with him would not be broken. He wanted that connection to stay. Because he knew if I stayed connected to him, he could heal everything. Another two, number two, after you come to him, make a decision. Don't let what you don't know change what you do know. What, what don't we know? A lot. <laughs> you know, sometimes I think we just have to admit that we have a loss. I think we have to admit that we didn't see what we were praying for, even though we believed it was God's will, and we don't know why. Instead of making up some theologies that make us feel better or make it seem like it was supposed to happen that way, you know what? Maybe it wasn't. God's still on the throne. It's still going to be okay. But let's just admit where we're at, because how do we grow if we don't say there's a problem here? So we don't blame God. And that's not to say that we condemn ourselves either, because he's not condemning us, but we, we have room to grow. We're learning how to flow with God. We're learning how to work with God. Scripture calls us co-laborers with him. Um, just, if you ever want to look it up in Daniel, there's an instance in chapter 9, verse 21 through 23, and then compare that with the instance in chapter 10, verses 12 and 13. If you compare them, two times Daniel prayed. The first time, boom, Gabriel shows up immediately. The second time, he prayed and fasted for three weeks until Gabriel showed up. And you know what Gabriel said? At the first word that you prayed, I was sent. Which meant God answered three weeks before he saw it come to pass in reality. So when you're not seeing something, don't assume God's saying no. And don't don't, don't ever say, well, God didn't. No, God did. In fact, he already did on the cross. Our healing, our deliverance, our freedom, everything was initiated already. So God is already in motion, Right? So it's not God. If it were God, if God were saying no, then there's nothing we can do. Okay, sirrah, sirrah, we just sit and let life run over us. But no, if God is for us, who can be against us? Where am I? So we choose to believe him above our experiences. So we know we don't know a lot, so we're just going to choose to believe him anyway. Peter says in John 6, 68, Jesus just gave a a very offensive message. Um, He said, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood, which was extremely offensive to the Jews if you took it literally. They didn't understand the symbolism, and he did it on purpose. He didn't bother explaining it because he wanted to get rid of those who were not truly seeking truth, who were just following him because he was popular. So he had a mass meeting, and the only people that were left were his disciples, and he turned to them and said, do you want to leave too? Like, he was not going to make them stay. He was secure in what God had called him to do. And Peter answered, and he said, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. And I had to have that that happen in my heart. I had to reach a point that said, I don't understand this. I'm let down. I'm disappointed. I'm I'm discouraged. But I have to believe your word. You have the words of eternal life. Where else am I going to go? Um, I started uh, reading Psalm 91 again because I had to. And it was really hard. It was really hard to read those words. But the part that I was able to really accept for the first time was the very end of that chapter. 
and I personalized it for myself. And it says, because she has set her love upon me, therefore I will deliver her. I will set her on high because she has known my name. She shall call upon me and I will answer her. I will be with her in trouble. I will deliver her and honor her. With long life, I will satisfy her and show her my salvation. My testimony is that he has never left me, that any time I called, he answered one way or another. And so that was the beginning. Now I can read the, the whole psalm and say, yes, this is true, that no evil is going to befall me. Yes, it befell me. I don't know why, but in the future it is not going to befall me because I'm dwelling in the secret place of the Most High. We've got to hold on to what we do know. We know God doesn't change. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We know he does not lie. Numbers 23, 19, one of my favorite verses, it says, God is not a man that he should lie, neither the son of man that he should repent. Has he said, and shall he not do it? Has he spoken, and shall he not make it good? That is who God is. He revealed himself in the Old Testament as Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, our provider. These are all his ideas, not ours. Right? I, I hear a lot of people saying when um, they didn't see an answer in prayer, a lot, of, a lot of times they say, well, God didn't answer the prayer the way I wanted to. No. The result was not what he wanted either because he lays out in his word what result he wants. I'm sorry if I'm like stepping on some toes. Please love me. I love you. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, we've got to really come to terms with this and be honest. If it's bad, it's bad. Right? How can it be turned to good if we don't recognize it as bad first? In the New Testament, Jesus continues to reveal the nature of the Father. Um, when Peter's preaching to the first, con- the first Gentile converts, he says, Jesus of Nazareth, who went about doing good and healing all who were oppressed of the devil because God was with him. In other words, this was God's will in demonstration. The great commission that Jesus passed on to us is heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the lepers, cast out demons. That part I prefer not to pay attention to. (laughs) But the Lord challenged me recently. And then to go and make disciples of all nations. This is the kingdom of God. What else is the kingdom of God? Righteousness, peace, joy, and the Holy Ghost. If we're not walking in joy and peace and righteousness, that feeling of constantly being accepted with God. Ephesians 1 talks about how he called us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, in love. If you don't feel like God is looking at you that way, you're not living in the full potential of what he wants for you. Because that's how he feels about you. He is love. God demonstrated his own love in this While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. When we were his enemies and wanted nothing to do with us, he initiated salvation. He initiated bringing you close to himself. Even now, in the midst of something that looks hopeless, all things are possible. Even now, in the midst of what seems like maybe not God not answering. Again, we don't know what's going on. But even now, God hears your prayers. I like what um, Jesus says to the disciples. Because it's no longer us saying to Jesus, okay, Jesus, anything that you ask the Father, I know he'll give it to you. Because in John 16, he says, in that day, you will ask in my name, and I'm not saying that I will ask the Father on your behalf. For the Father himself loves you dearly because you love me and believe me that I came from him. We have a direct connection with the Father. Jesus over and over and over said, ask anything in my name and I will do it. Those are red letters. We can't ignore them. Even if we haven't been seeing them, we can't ignore them. We have to stir our expectancy up. We have to raise our expectations so that God can meet them. Right? We have to make room for him. 
This is making room for him in your heart, believing these words and applying it to your life and saying, what areas have I not been seeing his will come to pass? That I've not been seeing his kingdom, I've not been seeing his life. My final encouragement is, is to focus on God's love for you. If I could read this to you, um, Ephesians 3, 16 through 19. Um, It's one of my go-to verses. I really like Ephesians. Paul says, I pray that from his glorious, unlimited resources, he will empower you with inner strength through his spirit. Then Christ will make his home in your hearts as you trust in him. Your roots will grow down into God's love and keep you strong. And may you have the power to understand, as all God's people should, how wide, how long, how high, and how deep his love is. May you experience the love of Christ, though it is too great to understand fully. This is the result. This is why it's so important. Then you will be made complete with all the fullness of life and power that comes from God. Dwell in his love. If you want to be full of all the life and power, that comes from God. I encourage you, let God rebuild your hope. Let down your defenses. Set aside your fears of being disappointed again. Let him give you a new confidence, not only for yourself, but for your neighbors, for Genoa, for this community, for this city. I'd like to read to you out of Ephesians 117 is another prayer by Paul. And this brings us full circle. It says, I keep asking that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the glorious Father, may give you the spirit of wisdom and revelation so that you may know him better. Getting to know him, his, his nature, his ways. I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of the glorious inheritance in his holy people, and his incomparably great power for us who believe. Most importantly, that you would know the hope to which he has called you, that comes through knowing him. Again, he's the present help in time of need. No matter what stage you find yourself in, he is there, ready and willing and waiting to intervene with his power. Romans 10.13 says, Everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Let's say you're in a situation where it was your fault. What if you ignored tons and tons of warnings and were where you're not supposed to be? God is still there for you to call on him. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. He can just change that that course that you're on and make a 90-degree turn, get you right back where you need to be. So if you're married, you're despondent, and you're empty, you're broken, just come. He's calling you. Just come. Let him minister to you. Let him love on you. Even, in your, even though you're disappointed and angry at him, If you're Martha and you just have a little bit of hope, but you're a little bit afraid to risk it, give him what you've got. Say, even now, I know that anything is possible. I'd like to pray for us. When you you pray out of scripture, you know you're praying in accordance with God's will. And I believe it's James that talks about that this is the confidence that we have in him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, we know that we have the petitions that we've asked of him. So I'm going to pray this prayer over you out of Romans 15, 13. And over this church. I pray that God, the source of hope, will fill you completely with joy 
and peace because you trust in him. Then you will overflow with confident hope through the power of the Holy Spirit. So Lord, I just release this word over the congregation, over this church, and even over myself. That we would overflow with confident hope, not because of any rational reason, but because of the power of the Holy Spirit. Because you are present with us now to heal, deliver, to bring us an awareness of your love. Come Holy Spirit. I ask that you would speak to each individual. Lord, that something would be branded on our hearts today. That we wouldn't leave the same because something has been planted in our hearts and that the enemy would not be able to steal that away. Even if we go back out to our, our life and everything looks the same, everything looks just as hopeless as it was, everything looks as dead as it was, but we have this hope within us. We thank you that you are the resurrection and the life. You are hope. You are the answer. And you love us dearly. Father, I pray just for the light bulb to go on in all of us, a revelation of your love. Thank you, Holy Spirit. Would you release just an awareness of your love over us right now. I just encourage you to open yourself up. You can love on the Lord, but even more importantly, I encourage you to intentionally receive his love for you in this moment. Don't try to work anything up. Don't strive. Just let him love you. Let him love you back into hope. 